Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempe. Today, we've got special guest Don Van Poole, former general manager at the General Electric Company, former chief operating officer of Kaplan Professional, which means that Don and I used to work together. And Don is also the founder of OptiProfit. Thanks for joining us today, Don. Great to be here, Andy. Thanks for inviting me on. Super. Uh, so today, we're going to continue that conversation about the balance between trust and accountability. We've had a, several episodes already uh, on this topic. Back in episode number 20, Dan Strafford and I discussed what accountability looks like at the organizational level. Today, we're going to drill down to how these concepts apply within the realm of, op- of operations in the business And I can't think of anyone more capable than Don to help us think that through. So, Don, before we get started, I'd love it if you told our listeners your story. And if you had to pick one event in your life that was a key accelerant to your career, what would that be? Yeah, thanks, Andy. So my story, um, you can kind of break it down into two two key um, areas. One is I spent several years in the U.S. military. Uh, last tour of duty was with the 82nd Airborne Division as a, a rifle platoon leader, and then I ran a, a small maintenance shop. So very heavy into operations, clearly in accountability, but big on a, in trust and the topic we're talking about today. And then, you know, my time in corporate America started in the mid to late 90s. So General Electric Company, as you discussed, mostly operational, so commercial operations, supply chain operations, two or three, um, you know, tours in the Lean Six Sigma community. And then um, my time with you there at um, Kaplan, which I greatly appreciated and was one of the best, one of the best experiences of my life. I sincerely mean that as your chief operating officer. And then just finished some time with uh, in the private equity space about 18 months doing an industry roll up in oil and gas. And now I've decided to take that experience. And my true passion is really coaching the future, you know, leaders and executives of, of our companies bid market it up. And so you know, I founded a company focused on uh, executive coaching and leadership coaching, and I'm really excited about that. And so, you know, the experience that really, um, really accelerated my career was about 1999, so a ways back. Um, I was interviewing for what, you know, what they call a master black belt in General Electric, very young in my career, uh, with G Capital. And I had my final interview was with the VP of Finance, who went on to become Jeff Ml's VP for quite a while. And at the end of the interview, he simply said, look, you know, tactically, you've got what we, what we need. You've got operational skills. You get stuff done. Um, but what's going to make your career expand and grow is really going to be the ability to communicate strategy, to first formulate strategy and communicate strategy at the higher executive level. So you have to build those strategic skills to go along with the execution skills. So that's, that, that's stuck with me, you know, all these years. And I've worked hard to develop those skills. Uh, and then I linked that with the person I worked for after that. Uh, and so I had a high safety, what I call a high safety ratio with the senior executive I work for. And what do I mean by that? To really build trust with your leaders, you, you can come up with strategy and that's important, but you have to do what you say you're going to do and consistently deliver. And, um, you know, I was able to couple the strategy with the safety ratio with my senior executive. And, you know, the best advice I ever got linked to that, uh, a captain in the army said, you know, Lieutenant, you can, you can be the best Lieutenant in the army, but if no one knows it, then it doesn't really matter. So, you know, what's the strategy, make sure the senior executives know you can do that. And it's clear and concise. 
you know, execute on that strategy. And then there has to be a bit of, I'll call it self-promotion for a second, but you just got to make sure people know that, you know, Don Van Poole or Andy Tempty are really delivering on what they said they would deliver. And that's really, those kind of core concepts have served me well for the last 20 or so years. Yeah, it, it, Don, it's it's amazing how those small moments in our lives, you know, that conversation that you had back in 1999 is probably what an hour of your life and and that yeah. you know that that's translated into 20 plus years of influence on how you carried yourself uh, in in the world of work I, it's it's just amazing how those how those small moments just expand uh, in into you know mentorship relationships uh, it's uh, it's just really really cool to hear your story so yeah, yeah. Um, you know, from, from my direct experience, uh, operations is the glue that holds a business together. And, you know, you've, as the head of operations, you've got tentacles that span across all functional areas. Uh, so far in our series on trust and accountability, we've talked about the tension that can brew between various functional areas. And we've talked uh, to Manoj uh, Agarwal about technology. Uh, we've talked to Daniel Hayden about sales. Uh, now, as an operations leader with a vantage point to see across the silos of the business, what's your historical experience with, uh, with these tensions? And do you have a particularly stark example that you can share without uh, naming names, obviously? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the tensions in any organization really run across the value chain if you think about an organization left or right. So you have tensions between sales and product, you know, product and, and, and um, operations, operations and logistics, and if you have an install team, install. And really the tensions come, in my opinion, from two different areas as you look across the organization. One is, you know, misalignment in metrics. So my metrics aren't aligned with your metrics and we're really not serving the customer because we're only worried about what goes on in our, our part of the company. And then what typically you get is kind of a siloed mentality in the organization. So we're only thinking about like what our part of the organization does. We're the most important part of the organization, whether it's sales saying, look, if I don't sell, you can't, there's no reason to have jobs in the org to operations saying, hey, I fulfill product. And if I don't fulfill product, you can't recognize revenue. So it just runs across the organization. And so I, I guess a really uh, stark example to me that I still remember, uh, we'll, 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 we'll say it was a, a country that we, uh, in a big company, we won't name either one, uh, a country in Asia, a large one, uh, and a large company, well, it used to be larger. And it was uh, end of third quarter um, revenue. And what had happened was um, the team, uh, the sales team in this country um, said, we're going to sell a hundred widgets, a hundred of these things. Uh, we had a function that took that demand and then sent that down into the manufacturing plants. Well, that function didn't trust the sales team because we all know that sometimes occasionally 1% of the time, there's a little bit of overestimation of what we might be able to sell. And that just happens because we hire salespeople, right, to, to, that, that are out there getting after it and, and are very positive. And sometimes they overestimate. So this person cut that demand from 100 to 80 uh, without telling anyone because they didn't trust the sales team. And then they handed that off to manufacturing. Well, manufacturing knew this region and said, you know what? 
they're not going to sell that many. I'm going to get stuck with inventory. All my metrics are going to be bad. And I, and it's just not going to be a good day for me at the end of the quarter. I'm going to cut another 10 out of that. So we have 100 forecasts and we're building 70. I'm the GM fulfillment for the entire organization. So we get to the end of the quarter and lo and behold, we don't have about $20 million devices that we can recognize revenue for. And somehow it's Don's fault. So not only did we spend... Not only did we spend two or three weeks not liking each other very much and fighting and having and blaming each other to our senior, senior executives, which is very unpleasant, we then had to spend the next first, first month at the end of the quarter going through a, a, an autopsy or an after action review of what actually happened and then you know learning from that. And that, that bred more distrust. So instead of getting ready for the fourth quarter, which is huge for us, we're recasting the third quarter and trying to figure out who did what. Um, and it all was from, you know, lack of trust, lack of coordination, siloed mentality, and uh, wasn't good for the customer, number one, and wasn't good for the company because we missed some of our financial metrics in terms of income and cash for the quarter and revenue. Yeah, so so much waste created by thinking about a company as a hierarchical structure. Um, I, in, in your previous answer there, I loved how you started out with this terminology, the value stream or the value chain. And that, that's really where I want to go next. You know, we, we think about companies as these hierarchical structures where you've got the CEO and then you got the chief operating officer and that begets a silo. And then you've got the head of sales and that begets a silo and, you know, all these heads of uh, chief operate chief chiefs of beget all these silos but we forget about the concept of flow uh, mm-hmm. you know back in episode 20 Dan and I talked about alignment and planning as a potential elixir to establishing an effective accountability framework let's expand on that concept of the value stream as a way of thinking about a business or this lean concept of of flow. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the concept of flow as a tool to improve trust and accountability. Yeah. So if you think about the, the value stream analysis is the primary diagnostic tool in lean. And it's really left or right thinking in an organization. So in, in past orgs, we've had you know two primary value streams, inquiry to order. So was a customer asked for something until they book an order? And then we had you know order until we get cash. And we, we really worked hard to think about the business left to right that way. And then from that, we could diagnose, not functionally, we could diagnose the process to deliver value to the customer, um, defining processes and not functions, and then within the lower level processes, you can determine how long is it taking, you know, are, are, am I taking too long? Is, is work, we call it inventory, but is work building up in my part of the function? And that's not to put blame at the function. That's really to understand where are the issues and what's causing the issues so we can work as a team to solve those problems. First and foremost, realizing there's a customer at the end of this. And in my old business, GE Healthcare, that was about, in my job, and we all were measured on, did I get the piece of equipment to that New York hospital the day they asked for it? Why? Because they're getting permits in New York. You're shutting down all the roads. You're bringing in cranes. You're lifting stuff in the hospital. It's just it is a disaster. Even if you're off by 
you know, in the afternoon instead of the morning. So how do we understand the entire process? What are the issues in the process? How do we solve them? Did we hit that on-time date? And if not, why? And what we found through analysis and looking at that value stream was about, you know, you know, 25% of the, a third of the issue was really how are we taking orders from the customer and how clear is that? Another 20 to 30% was, you know, manufacturing issues and being stocked out and for, you know, forecasting. Another 25% of that was install. So the install team not doing their job and not having a clear plan to install the equipment on time. And that was impacting canning over the customer. So it was a, it was about roughly a third, a third, a third or so. So it wasn't, it was the, it, I always said fulfillment is a team sport. And so what does it look like across the entire organization and how do we work on those issues across the organization? And if manufacturing is late, sometimes it's because I'm not doing a good, good job sourcing the product. However, sometimes it's because I'm getting a really bad order from sales that's not clear and the configuration changes 20 or 15 times. And I got to keep recycling it back to the start of the manufacturing line. And so that helped us report out to the CEO on how are we improving, what's the team doing, how is it interconnected, and so it became less about like you know Don's a horrible fulfillment leader because he's not getting product out on time, or you know the order management team isn't booking orders properly. It's how does the entire organization work? Number one, to fulfill product on time to the customer, and where in the process is it breaking down, and what are the countermeasures, long term and short term, that we can enact to get better at this as a team. And that took and that took away a lot of the infighting and finger pointing. I'd add one more thing within that process. There's something we called revenue risk, which is we're going to miss revenue because of X, Y, or Z. When we created processes and reporting around commercial teams, um, the manufacturing teams, and the install teams across the board and all the commercial aspects. And I started to put my issues in that spreadsheet and send it to those organizations and send it to the CEO every Saturday morning. When they saw me putting my bad guys in there, they started putting their bad guys in there. And everyone was telling the truth. And guess what? We took fulfillment risk from like $120 million down to like almost nothing. Because we were transparent about risk, we identified it, and we jumped on it and solved it when we, when we could see it. But it took me telling showing my warts in the organization for the sales team to show theirs. Yep. Yep. That, that kind that transparency, uh, I would, I would label that bravery. Uh, you know, we talked about, uh, courage earlier in the series, uh, with John Polstein, uh, who you would remember. Um, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, that, that takes real courage to put your warts out there for, for everybody to see. But, uh, you know, once that, once that happens, uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, really, as you mentioned, really good things can happen. And, and I loved your, you know, that, that visual that you gave of the crane in New York City uh, showing up at 5 a.m., getting all ready to go, shutting off streets and uh, think about all the backed up traffic. And, yeah. that, you know, if that imager doesn't show up at 9 a.m. like it's supposed to, but shows up at 1 p.m. instead, yeah. Not only do you have a, a a mad customer, but you've got the whole you've got the whole city revolting against you. <laughs> yeah, and you and you will have operations people saying, "What's the big deal? It's five hours." But no, it's it's that's right. a big deal actually. It is a really yeah. really big deal. 
And so, you know, continuing the conversation, you know, you're you're a lean and continuous improvement expert. You've been, you know, you've had that in your woven into your fabric. Uh, but lean and continuous improvement uh, often get a bad rap because the language is foreign. It's unapproachable. Uh, team members believe they're going to be somehow leaned out of the organization. Uh, and sometimes, uh, sometimes they are. Sometimes it's done that done that way, which is uh, on the bad end of the spectrum. But what's your advice for leaders who see the benefits of embarking on a continuous improvement journey to build trust and accountability, but face that pushback related to these preconceived notions, that fear, uh, uncertainty, and doubt uh, related to really implementing lean concepts in, the, in an organization. Yeah. Yeah. So it truly does begin with the leader. So the very, you know, you're a great example of this, Andy, the, the CEO of the company has to be the, one of the chief champions and bought in or it just won't work. So it, it does start with a leader. It does start with a leader understanding lean, doing some of their own self-study, and then explaining in simple terms. Lean can be explained in very simple terms that everyone can understand. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be wary of the person that makes it so complicated you don't understand it, because either they don't understand it or they want to seem smarter than they are, because it can be explained in very simple terms. But it all starts with people. So if you're going to implement lean in your organization, first either hire or retain the senior executives on your team or staff that are true believers and then compensate them accordingly. And then the next level, if you're going to hire, sometimes you can hire uh, full-time staff or you can just have people do it as part of their job. Uh, what, you, what I would recommend is if you're going to hire full-time staff, pick, pick your best and brightest from the organization, compensate them accordingly, and when they're successful, hire them into big jobs. That's another big reinforcer. And then a couple more points. One, the, another point would be when I was at, Last at GE, and Larry Culp was coming in from Danaher to really turn GE around, and, and it seems to be working. He was a massive proponent of lean, and that was one of the first strategic levers he brought back into GE. And he took his senior staff, his most senior staff in the General Electric Company, and did their own Kaizen, had their own actions, and he communicated, I believe it was weekly or biweekly, on progress. And he set the example. So I would say if you're a CEO or a COO implementing lean at work, You've got to take your senior team and you've got to do it yourself. And then uh, I think the, the really the last part is uh, the people closest to the customer are the ones that will be the biggest champion for lean in your organization, especially if you follow these steps. Why do I say that? They're the ones that feel the pain of your org closest to the customer. So a customer service rep, an install person on the ground, a salesperson in the field, they hear everything coming downstream from poor processes and poor teamwork. So they will be on board, just communi communicate transparently and include them in the process as much as possible. They will be willing to be part of this. You know, the part you got to work on is kind of that often is that frozen middle. And so you have to include them as much as you can. Um, you have to reward those that are buying in and promote them. It all starts though with, excuse me, all starts though with the senior executives and a CEO. They've got to believe it. If they don't believe it, it will absolutely fail. There's no yeah. doubt about it. I've seen it too many times. Yeah. And, and, and as you said, get, 
close to the work, get close to right. where the, the stuff a- actually happens. Uh, yeah. You know, I remember you and I talked at, at Kaplan Professional with uh, folks all around the business, and we would routinely ask, when's the last time you talked to somebody in customer service? When's the last mm-hmm. time you actually talked to the people who are on the phone all day, every day with uh, with our clients and with our customers and, and heard those stories? So th- thank yeah. you so much for for that reminder. Uh, so on this podcast, we're trying to help leaders cultivate a high trust, high accountability uh, culture w- within their organizations. What's an additional piece of advice you have for operations leaders to help them build trust and accountability across the business? Yeah. So, you know, I like to use uh, Lincioni's framework uh, in in my practice and, and since probably 95 or 95, 2005 in, in my work in GE. So, you know, it, it all starts with a foundation of trust. Everything is built off of trust. And, you know, there's a, there's a simple exercise I like to run to start that, which is in a staff meeting, you know, I, I ask them, you know, where are you from? Where do you fall in the order of birth? What's a key lesson you learn from like a hardship in your life? And then how does that apply to business now? And that starts to kind of, when people are honest, you'd be amazed at what comes out of that conversation. And so that's just an example of starting to build trust within your team. Uh, I think then you have to go to the next level, which is there's an elephant in the room in most of your staff meetings, and a lot of leaders like to ignore it. Invite that in. Talk about it. Engage in conflict. You're never going to get to the next level if you don't have people actually talking about the issues in your organization and solving them in the room, not somewhere else. Uh, you know, from there, I like to do, uh, I, I would suggest building a, uh, what I call a you know, strategic plan. I, I, I use a one-page strategic plan, which I've shown you before, Andy, which is get your staff together, include them in the process, bring in, you know, um, other people beneath, you know, that report to them if, if they're strategic and really agree on, you know, what, what are the values of your team? You know, what's the strategy of your team? You know, what are the what 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 are the five three one year goals? What are the big rocks you got to attack? How are you going to measure progress? Who owns it? What's the one big thing you got to work on? I you know I've done that. I put it on one page, and then we all agree and we're all bought in and we're aligned. Now's the part about going back to the rest of the org, and then I go and I show that to the head of sales. Do you have any feedback? Do you agree with this? I go to the head of product. I go to whatever organization I'm working with and say. Here's, here's what I'm working on. Here's why I'm doing it. Here's how good or bad we are. Here's where we're going and how long it'll take. What is your feedback? That starts to build kind of the trust across the organization. And then I come back to them every month and show them where we are and, and I'm truthful with them. And then I include them in the process. And, I, and then I show my accountability, my award. But that also allows me to do something very key, which is typically when I take over an operation, there's a lot of improvement to be made. And the salesperson knows it, and the product person knows it, and he knows there's a lot, there's a there's a journey here. I use that transparency in my accountability to a communicate to them what I need from them to succeed. You know, I need a clean order. I need it in time to actually do my work. Would you please do that? And can we hold you accountable to that? Um, but I also use it to say, look, it's going to take me you know 12 months to go from 30 percent good to 80 percent good. I will report back to you every month. I need a little air cover from you and the team so I can work and make my team run the way it's supposed to run. Uh, and so, you know, if I'm an op, if I was an, uh, an operations leader today, 
that, that's the process I would follow. It all starts, the foundation is trust. We have nothing, whether it's a business or marriage, right? Without absolute trust, it just isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm just going to punch the point of that phrase you used, uh, invite the elephant in. That's a that's a wonderful phrase. Invite the elephant into the room. Have a conversation about it. Keep inviting the elephant in the room, and pretty soon there it's it's not the elephant uh, in in the room anymore. It's something that you're you're, you're talking about and you're addressing. So thank thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, you you know, as as we're going to draw our time to a close here, um, you know we've we've got uh, people of, uh, uh, of you know of all flavors listening to this. Uh, we've been talking primarily about leaders, but what's one sage piece of advice that you'd give to an individual contributor who just landed their first job on an operations team? Yeah, the, the key piece, and there's so much, but I, I think the key one piece of advice that I would give them is, and I know we're living in different times now, but get out of your cube, get out of your office, do whatever you can do to go to a customer site, go visit a customer, call a customer, go on a sales call, ride with a salesperson. You got to get out of your, your, your kind of your, you got to go get that perspective. Um, you know, I, I would go see customers. I would take take me the customer that's the most irritated, and everything I would learn about that, I would take back to the operation for for improvement efforts. I would also say, understand your business, understand the product, research the key leaders. What you know, what's their background? What do they care about? And just don't just focus on being a good operations person because that's not going to work. Know your customer, know your business, know the hot buttons of your leaders. You know, Andy, you're a good example. I always knew what you cared about because I just I just go read your blog or or your book. It's it's pretty simple. So it's not always that easy because people don't always blog and write books, but there's ways to learn about your leader. So that's that's what I would tell a, a new budding operations person. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, yeah. Learn, adopt that continuous improvement, that lifelong learning mindset, get close to the work. Uh, I, I, I just love it. So Don, we're uh, we're almost out of time here. I really appreciate uh, you you joining us today. Before I do my outro stick, uh, tell us a- again just a little bit about OptiProfit and and what you're up to and how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, so I'm actually rebranding it Op- Opta Exec in the next month, um, and so I have there's two pieces to the business. OptiProfit still exists. Opta Exec is really about executive and leadership coaching. Um, and I do a few things. One is I provide help developing strategy. Uh, I put together team work with them to put together team building systems and individual executive coaching to improve leadership and really make them excel. Uh, and then I do have the smaller business where I coach small, I have this passion for small business. So I opt to profit still there. Um, I'm not sure your audience would be as, as interested in that. I would say if you're interested, uh, just send an uh, email to Don Van Poole at opta, O-P-T-A, profit.com. And let's just engage and have a conversation about, about your needs or, or anything I can do to help. I'm just I'm really passionate about developing the next you know, set of leaders in our, in our country and globally in our organizations to make, you know, make us stronger as a, just as a community. So I love it. Well, thank, thanks, for, thanks again for joining us, Don. Uh, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us 
on uh, all the major podcasting services out there. Uh, you can join in on the conversation at andrewtempty.com. Uh, you can reach out to Don Van Poole over LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, hope, hopefully we're everywhere. So uh, yeah. th- thanks, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Have a great day.